0: Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 127 of the podcast, or you're joining us here live on YouTube if you're somewhat of a night owl. Today is technically Monday, February the 18th, uh, as it is just after midnight. Uh, It was a long day and a long night for us here on MMA on the Rocks. It was a short night for the former heavyweight champion, Cain Velasquez. Before we get into that, And UFC on ESPN numero uno. Let me introduce my co-host all the way from New Jersey, Jeff the Animal Wilson. Jeff, how are you feeling on this early President's Day morning, my friend? Bill, I am wonderful. I don't have work
1: later. I don't have work on tomorrow being Tuesday either. So I got a nice long weekend got to enjoy the fights. And Bill, I was actually watching WWE Elimination Chamber on my phone and had um the fights on ESPN on my laptop. So, it was fun. I was I was double-fisting it. But Bill, how are you? How was your day today?
0: It was a long day, man. I've been uh you know, out out in this Florida sun. It was like 82 degrees today. Went to a little nature preserve. Um, you know, took the daughter. She's walking now, so she's all over the place, walking the nature trails and, and wearing me out like no other. If you're joining us on YouTube, you can see the exhaustion on my face. Um, if you're just listening to the podcast version, that's perfect because my mom always told me I had a face for radio anyway. Um, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. So it's President's Day. God, God, bless America. You're off tomorrow, Jeff. Uh, sure, a lot of the listeners are off. So, um, man, what a weekend of MMA. We had two Bellator events. We had an Invicta event. We had the first UFC event ever on Big ESPN, so to speak. And man, uh, I don't know about you, Jeff, but I'm having flashbacks to the first time. UFC appeared on Big Fox because it was 2011 and I remember watching this and it was Cain Velasquez and Junior Dos Santos in the main event and this was supposed to be a heavyweight slugfest for the ages and Cain Velasquez made it about a minute and four seconds if my memory serves me correct I actually don't have that in front of me right now but um, yeah man kind of a flashback now so Cain Velasquez Headlines the first card on ESPN under the new contract here uh, against Francis Ngannou, uh, very similar to Junior Dos Santos, and he's a big heavyweight slugger. And he gets put down in, I think it was 26 seconds was the official time. Uh, This just happened, Jeff, because you you and I were were texting. We were just watching the fights. We decided to record a late-night episode, which is very unorthodox for us. We usually do Sunday mornings. I've had a lot of bourbon. Cain Velasquez had a little bit of brain damage. Jeff, give me your reaction to this main event here.
1: Yeah, dude, I did not see it going this way, man. I thought Velasquez was going to go in there, use his wrestling, and kind of do what um, Stipe Miacic did to beat Francis Ngannou and just wear him out, let Ngannou carry his weight for five rounds. Bill, the exact opposite happened. Velasquez went in there swinging heavy leather and Nganu caught him, dude. Uh, especially, and, um, not a lot happened, Bill, but a lot happened in those 26 seconds. Um, Cain Velasquez did go for a couple of take it downs and Nganu was really good with his underhooks and was able to even like lift Cain Velasquez with one of his underhooks to keep him from getting taken down. And that's one of those, um, one of those underhooks and the lift led to a really nice uppercut for Francis Ngannou. And, you know, Velasquez was hurt with that. He went down and we saw him scream a little bit in pain. I think that was his knee, but Ngannou finished the job, man. He was landing some heavy shots from top position and the ref stopped it right away. So I was a little disappointed that King's knee gave out, but I don't think Ngannou did a lot wrong in this fight either.
0: Yeah, for sure. You can't take away from Ngannou here. And I know the hometown crowd uh, would like to take away from him uh, this knockout victory. And even the broadcasters, Dominic Cruz and and John Anik, were saying, I I usually have the volume on very low. I don't usually listen to the broadcast just because I don't want it to influence the show when we do record the show. But um, they were saying repeatedly that Kane's knee gave out. Uh, I watched the fight over many times and granted it just happened, but I watched it a couple of times and Ngannou did land a short right uppercut that dropped Kane. I do not believe that his knee buckling was the result of the knockout here. And even in the post fight interview, Kane said that he came in too fast, uh, too soon on Francis Ngannou and he got caught. Um, So hopefully that is the case because the alternative would be that Kane has a blown ACL or something like that. Uh, We haven't seen him in uh, it's pushing four years now. Uh, July of 2016 was the last time he was in there against Travis Brown. And he looked fantastic in that fight. And Kane Velasquez on a lot of people's history books is the greatest heavyweight of all time. And there's a very strong argument to make that case. But, man, I, I'm i still in a little bit of fog because, again, this just happened, and I don't know what you do with Kane here. I Hopefully, he's healthy and he can get right back in there. Um, there. There are some interesting matchups at heavyweight, and I don't know what you do with Ngannou either because we know he's not very good at wrestling. We know that heavyweight is a little bit tied up right now. Maybe Brock Lesnar is going to come in and fight Cormier. Maybe he's not. Uh, we know Stipe is still waiting in the wings um you know if i'm in ganu here i would be calling out stipe in this post fight interview that did not happen um so that fight probably goes out the window that probably would have been the smartest thing he could have done because if he calls out stipe and puts a little pressure on him uh that gets him closer to a title shot than anything else i think if he just kind of waits this one out um he won't be seeing a title shot against Daniel Cormier. I don't think Cormier is anxious to get in there. He has plenty of options on the table in front of him. What do you see next in this heavyweight division, Jeff? I know this is all still fresh on the brain and it just happened, but, uh, you know, in a perfect world, what's going to happen next year? Well, I don't
1: know, man. Uh, Kane. Like you said, I'm in the same boat. I don't know what you do with him, man. He's very injury prone. You know, his first fight back in three years. Bill, the last time that Kane fought, we weren't even doing this podcast yet. It was at (laughs) UFC 200. And, um, you know, now he's injured again. We don't know what the doctor's going to say. And I don't know. For those of you listening, we're about 15, 20 minutes removed from this main event. So we have no information on Velasquez's condition and we don't know when he'll be back and as for nganu i think you're right bill i think that the path of most resistance is the fastest way to title for him i think he has to challenge stipe he has to get that one back i think for his own mentality uh it's great that he beat kane and curtis blades but Stipe Miocic is a different animal, man. He's super well-rounded, and honestly, I think that'd be a great main event for for another UFC
0: ESPN. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in in a perfect world, Kane would have won this or it would have been at least competitive, and we would have finally gotten to see Kane and Stipe go at it because I think that would answer a lot of the questions we've had in terms of you know, the greatest heavyweight in UFC history and – everything like that but you know that wasn't the case it wasn't kane's night and yeah i I gotta reiterate that deja vu i'm having man of that that fox card um i remember watching that like it was yesterday even though it was uh you know many moons ago i think eight years it was 2011 i believe when kane headlined that first fox card and man what a wild night um I want to jump around this card a little bit, Jeff, just because, um, you know, I can. Uh, I want to bring into the spotlight what I thought thus far is the best fight of 2019, and that was Vicente Luque and Brian Barberina. And we had said last week that this was going to be a real barn burner of a fight, but, man, I had no idea it was going to be this good. These guys went back and forth and slugged it out. And they're two big, powerful guys. There were submission attempts. Um, these guys both got dropped with big, heavy shots and Vicente Luque getting the finish with six seconds left at the end of the third round. If this wasn't fight of the night, uh, I, I don't even know what could possibly have been because this was just a phenomenal fight. Um, uh, by both guys i think both of their stock rose immensely uh biggest platform possible on espn on broadcast television uh give me a reaction to this one jeff
1: Bill, this fight was absolutely amazing. It was a complete slugfest. Both of these guys swinging heavy leather, mixing it up, especially Vicente Luque. As soon as Barbarina hit the floor, Luque was looking for a submission, looking for some way to finish, and it came down to the wire. This fight ended at 4 minutes and 54 seconds. Of the last round, I thought it was going Vicente Luque's way, but if the judges had any doubt, he put him out immediately. He hit a nice one-two, dropped Brian Barberena, and then just kept uh, landing with some really heavy shots from the top. But dude, if you missed this one, but for anybody listening, go back and watch it. Uh, I agree with you, Bill. I think this is fight of the year
0: for 2019 thus far, and it's only February. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even if you did see it, go back and watch it again. Uh, it yeah. was just that incredible of a fight. And now Vicente Luque on a four-fight win streak uh, over some really tough competition in this welterweight division and all finishes. Uh, you know, the, he before this fight he had a knockout over Jalen Turner, a knockout over Chad LaPrice, and a submission of Nico Price, who we know is tough as hell. Um, so. I think a top ten opponent has to be next for Vicente Luque. Brian Barbarina, uh, you know, put him on a main card uh, next time too, because you know he's gonna, you know, he's gonna come out there and perform. And uh, I, I, I can't stress enough what a fantastic fight this was, which is why I wanted to jump around the card a little bit. Uh, what would you like to see next for uh, either of these gentlemen, Jeff?
1: So for Vicente Luque, I'd actually like to see him fight uh, Neil Magny. I think that they, they're they both really well-rounded. I think that their skill level is pretty equal. I think that... Um, Neil Magny's wrestling can compete with Vicente Luque's jujitsu game. So I'd love to see them mix it up. And as for Brian Barbarina, I can't think of anybody in the welter division off the top of my head right now. But I am excited to see who the UFC puts him in there against next. And I think Brian Barbarena could start a UFC card. I think he could be the first fight on a UFC main card, I, uh, main card on a pay-per-view
0: yeah for sure and and these are two really big powerful welterweights too i mean they they easily looked like two middleweights in there uh these are some big powerful dudes throwing big powerful shots uh and speaking of big dudes let's jump back to the co-main event here which was a lightweight matchup between paul felder and james Vick, two of the biggest lightweights on the roster easily uh we know paul felder has a very hard time getting down to lightweight. It's a big cut for him. He's a thick dude, but James Vick at six foot three or whatever the fuck he is, is just insane fighting at 155 pounds. You know, we said the last time after he lost to Justin Gaethje that he should probably move up to 170 pounds. Uh, I I maintain that to be true for him. Um, I, I think even if, they created this 165 pound division i would like to see james vick uh move up to 175 pounds um you know uh, assuming that if they make the 165 pound division that 170 would become 175 so that's a mouthful there uh this was an exciting fight uh i thought paul felder was the clear victor here but you never know what's going to happen with these mma judges um as we definitely saw evidenced in the bellator cards over the weekend which we'll get to a little bit later i know you didn't catch them jeff but i know you did catch this main event between these two fierce lightweights. give me your reaction
1: yeah dude paul felder just went in there with the right strategy the right mentality and he was punishing james vick with those leg kicks dude which we know he's really good at and just cutting him down to size vick by the middle of the third round could not even like walk straight he was limping around that cage um you know I'm glad that the judges called it the right way because there was maybe one or two rounds where it was a little bit up in the air Mm -hmm. but I think Paul Felder did enough to get the decision and good for him some of the takedowns weren't working that he went for against James Vick but again that's part of his height and his length that really helps him keep a sturdy base and dude Paul Felder, he just won it on the feet, which I love. I would have liked to see his ground and pound, but again, that's more because James Vick did a good job of neutralizing it. So, Bill, what do you see next for Paul Felder in this lightweight division here?
0: Uh, so, Felder called out the winner of the Gaethje-Barbosa fight, which I think is interesting. Barbosa would be a rematch for Paul Felder, of course, um, and Gaethje would be just a fun fight. Um So Felder just beat the number 10 guy in the division, which is huge for him. Uh, He typically struggles with guys who are a little bit bigger than him. We saw that in the Mike Perry fight in his last outing. And, uh, you know, he, he suffered a broken arm and, you know, he's had a lot of adversity. So, and and of course, balancing that with uh, a very promising broadcasting career as well. You know, uh, Paul Felder is a great uh, commentator for the UFC as well. Um, so he he's got a lot going on and again still very big for this division um the takedown offense uh, attempts were curious against vic because he didn't really change levels at all he got inside on a couple of body locks got vic up against the fence got reversed a few times but he never really changed levels to to get in under the hips of james vic which would be you know the way to get him to the ground I know that's a long way down, but it was kind of curious to me how he was just getting in on the body locks and not changing levels. Um, but, you know, awesome Muay Thai from Felder. He, he stayed upright in the clinch, uh, which is exactly the way to handle a taller fighter. Um, I, I thought it was a really impressive performance by Paul Felder and a really a really great win. To get under his belt and and to get him a little more notoriety, of course, on such a big platform such as ESPN, I'd like to see James Vick move up, and for Felder, I'd like to see uh, I'd like to see him get the winner of that Gaethje Barbosa fight. But uh, you know, there's there's so many guys flying around this lightweight division. You know, we have you know Nate Diaz is still in there, and and you know a lot of interesting matchups for for Paul Felder. Going forward, uh, moving on down the card, we had a close fight between Cynthia Calvillo and Courtney Casey. Uh, personally, I thought Courtney Casey did enough, uh, keeping Cynthia Calvillo at bay uh, with her length. Uh, these are two really big straw weights here, too, Jeff. Um, I, I would think both of these girls would do just fine at flyweight. Um, I, I thought it was really close. Cynthia Calvillo getting the nod here. I don't think it was a total robbery. Uh, It was a very close fight, but uh, I thought that uh, Calvillo spent a lot of time backing up to the jab of Courtney Casey. How did you see this one, Jeff?
1: Yeah, I could have seen it going for Courtney Casey. I was uh, not super surprised, but a little bit surprised that Cynthia Calvillo got her hand raised. Uh, I just thought Courtney Casey won won it a little bit more. Uh, I felt like she controlled the octagon a little bit more. But yeah, dude, as for the whole strawweight thing, I agree. I think Cynthia Calvio and Courtney Casey are really, really big. Courtney Casey, especially um, Cynthia Calvio's missed weight once or twice before. So I think both of these women would benefit from going up to flyweight, especially because that flyweight division at the moment is still pretty young. I'd like mm-hmm. to see a couple fighters um, from strawweight move up to there and, and fill out the ranks a little bit more
0: yeah and then the the announcers kept talking about uh how courtney casey had so much size over cynthia calvillo all i saw was the height you yeah. personally the height and the reach I mean, cynthia calvillo is a big straw weight you know she's a strong grappler you know which gives her a, a lot of dense muscle mass when you do a lot of grappling like she does um so yeah, I, I would like to see both of them at Flyweight. I think it'd be interesting, especially since, like you said, that division is pretty wide open. But I'll tell you who is cron top of the worlds, Jeff. And that is <laughs> <laughs> one of the <laughs> one of the oh, most okay. recent Gracies uh to grace the octagon in a long time. And that's Cron Gracie uh getting it done over Alex Caceres, who is a game opponent. Um, He's shown in the past that he's susceptible to being submitted. Um, But, you know, he has a very dynamic striking style. So there there was always that possibility that he could land a big shot on Kron. But um, Kron Gracie had a flawless performance here. Um, Once he got on Alex Caceres' back, uh, that was all she wrote from there. He was able to drag him down into his world. And then it's just a matter of time until he sinks in that rear naked choke. I, th- I believe he's five and and0 with five rear naked chokes. Uh, that's without looking at his record, but you know, if I'm wrong, it's four rear naked chokes and five victories in his MMA career. Uh, give me a reaction to um, the return of a Gracie to the UFC octagon, Jeff.
1: Yeah, I was pleased, man. We haven't heard that name in a UFC octagon in a really long time. So it's nice to see a Gracie back in there. And I really liked Cron Gracie's takedown because it was a little weird. It was a leg lace with uh, from almost on Casteris' back. So as soon as they hit the ground, he was on the back, locked it up and uh started looking for that neck dude so you know Gracie no joke in there um from what I've heard Bill he's one of the more aggressive uh Gracie members in terms of his jujitsu. it's more like a um like a Jakari uh like a Jakari type of jiu-jitsu where mm-hmm. he's he's in there looking to hurt you looking to break your arms and stuff so I'm really excited to see him get in that cage again
0: yeah Kron um you know, he, he's a really aggressive jujitsu practitioner. He got kind of fed up with the jujitsu world because, um, you know, the current trend is to kind of stall guys out, uh, especially at the top level of competition where, you know, it's not EBI, it's not, um, you know, finish or nothing. Uh, it's, it's point-based and it can go to draws and stuff like that, which, yeah, you know, is a shame that, that jujitsu was kind of going down that road for a while before EBI and, and tournaments like that came along um, but I, I think he's found a, a new home here in the UFC uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do next with him obviously he didn't take any damage in this fight I don't think Alex Caceres even landed a single punch on him so and his striking didn't look bad either you know a lot of times you get these jujitsu jitsu phenoms coming over to MMA and and their striking looks very awkward, very rudimentary. But, um, you know, he was mixing it up fairly well in there. He had, you know, a couple of stiff-looking uh, hooks that he was throwing. Uh, but for the most part, he was he was very willing to trade with Alex Caceres, who's a, a very experienced MMA competitor, uh, especially in this lightweight division, um, which is very stacked. And it would be interesting to see Krohn uh, work his way up here uh, personally, I'd like to see a fight at some point with Brian Ortega. I mean, that's, that's the dream matchup, uh, to me right now, you know, two of the best grapplers in the division, but I think, uh, we're very far removed from that. So let's continue on down the card here. Uh, we already talked about Luque and Barbarina. I'll reiterate again. I think that was by far the fight of the night contender for fight of the year and as you said jeff we're only in february um andre Philly, and miles jury i thought this was a really good fight very close um very similar styles here uh feely was able to keep it on the feet for the most part when miles jury did get it to the ground feely was in a lot of trouble uh you could see a big discrepancy in the ground uh capabilities there between Philly and jury but Philly was able to get his hand raised unanimously uh what did you think of this one jeff Yeah, I thought uh, very similarly. I thought that Andre Philly did a good
1: job on the feet, really using that jab to keep Miles Jury away, because once they were on the ground, it was very, very different story. And I think that if it had gone to the ground more, maybe we'd be having a different conversation with Jury probably getting the decision. But a good job from Andre Philly, man, keeping Jury at bay with that jab, using his length and his reach. Mhm but um he started talking about a title shot bill and I don't I think it's a little too soon for that man. This featherweight division is uh going to be a little bit interesting with um a potential uh, Tony Ferguson versus Max Holloway fight or uh, I'm, I'm sorry uh, Khabib versus Tony Ferguson fight in the works so um, I think it's a little too soon to be asking for a title shot I think he's got to get some bigger names under his belt before that happens
0: yeah for sure and um, I, I think 2019 we'll see a lot more from Andre Feely um, you know he comes out of a good camp and uh, I'm sure they'll they'll secure him some good fights another guy who comes out of a great camp uh, and had a Uh, a stellar performance last night that hopefully doesn't get lost in the shuffle was Aljamain Sterling. I thought he looked great against Jimmy Rivera. This was a bit of a grudge match because these two came up on the local circuit in the New York, New Jersey area, right in your neck of the woods, Jeff. Um, So Sterling obviously trains uh, out on long Island. Jimmy Rivera trains at Tiger Shulman's in Manhattan. Uh, so these two came up around the same time. There was some trash talk going on, but they were never able to clash in the cage. So to speak until last night, or you could say tonight, um, uh, on ESPN. And I thought Sterling looked great. I thought he controlled the fight everywhere. It went, uh, Jimmy Rivera was just not able to get into the pocket where he shines. Uh, he did catch Aljo with a couple of good shots, but, for the most part, Aljamain Sterling was able to implement his game plan. Um, wasn't able to get Jimmy Rivera down, but was able to control a lot of the fight. Uh, give me your reactions to this one, Jeff.
1: Yeah, dude. Even though Sterling wasn't able to put Rivera on his back, I think he did a really good job of controlling that cage man. He had Rivera up against the cage, was using the clinch really, really well. So I saw, I saw a lot of things that I really liked out of Sterling. Usually um, he uses his length and his reach to his advantage, but um, I really liked seeing him in, seeing him mix it up, seeing some strikes on the break, uh, good use of his knees while in the clinch. So um, a very, very good performance from Sterling. And he called out Marlon Moya's at the end of that. And and bill i'd love to see them get it back on uh i'd love to see them
0: rematch yeah uh so marlon Morais uh, you know by anyone's standard is deserving of a title shot but obviously things are a bit muddied up in that division right now since the current champion tj dillashaw went down to 125 pounds and lost to henry cejudo so maybe they're gonna rematch at 135 we don't really know what's going on there yet um so if Morais isn't next in line for that title shot. Maybe he wants to stay active and uh, give Aljo another crack at him. Um, I think it was a good cal- call out by Aljo. His last couple of fights, he had been calling out Dominic Cruz. Um, and, and who knows where that's going to go. I think he realized that that was a bit of a dead end. So he moved on. I think it was a good call out a- after a great performance. Uh, as for Jimmy Rivera, you know, there's still a lot of interesting fights for him at bantamweight and, um, you you know, I'm sure he'll be able to bounce back. I mean, this is a guy who found a way to win 20 something fights in a row, uh, before he met Marlon Marais and Aljamain Sterling. So I'm sure Jimmy Rivera will be just fine. Uh, before that we saw many Bermudas who missed weight by four pounds, I believe. And I really want to shit on him, but at the same time, I was really impressed by this guillotine that he put on Benito Lopez, who is a standout of Dana White's Tuesday night contender series. And the way he did it was he trapped one of Benito's arms with his legs, almost like a front crucifix so that he wasn't able to defend the guillotine and then put it on him with almost a Darce like grip, um, but still like a front headlock guillotine while trapping the arm that Benito would need to defend the choke with his legs. I thought it was a really unique setup, uh, but still really disappointed that he missed weight by so much. That's just unprofessional, unacceptable, but damn it, that was a slick (laughs) guillotine. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Bill, I don't think you're wrong, man. That was a really nice guillotine. Like you said, I love the use of his legs to lock up that one arm and just take it out of the equation completely, dude. Mm -hmm. Um, There there was no way Lopez was getting out of it. And, man, I'm in the same boat. It it annoys me because there were a couple of fighters on this card who did not make weight, Bill. Um, Manny Bermudez was one of them. And then, Bill, if you don't mind jumping around again, Another one on the early prelims was Henan Barrow, who luckily got knocked out by Luke Sanders. Um, Luke Sanders looked awesome in there. He caught him with a nice one, 2 And as soon as Barrow hit the ground, Sanders landed some unforgiving right hands from the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bill, I don't know what you do with Barrow with at this point. Um, he's got a couple of losses losses in his belt. I think he's only won one in his last five or six fights. And he's missed weight multiple times
0: in those fights. So I don't know what we do with him at this point. Uh, I mean, maybe bump him up to featherweight. I I mean, I think that should have happened a long time ago, but only 32 years old, but yeah, this is four losses in a row for him. And he has lost six of his last seven. And this is a guy who was at one point, uh, you, you know, in the conversation for pound for pound, like best in the world, but you know, best of all time, maybe uh, just like a really well-rounded vicious dude. And uh, until he met a guy by the name of TJ Dillashaw. Um, so yeah, I don't know what you do with Barao. I think maybe force him to move up, move up and wait. Um, You know, he's a guy who's been in a lot of wars and, and you know, he, he's getting up there. Once you get into your thirties, it's a little bit harder to lose that weight. and and that's definitely been the case for Henan and Barrow. Um, uh part of me would like to see him have somewhat of a revival. I think there's some interesting matchups for him at featherweight, but the other part of me says, you know, fuck him. He can't make weight um at, at the weight that he's agreed to the last couple of times. So I'll I'll kind of like breeze over the rest of this card, Jeff, and you tell me if there's anything you really want to talk about. Andrea KGB Lee uh her footwork and head movement just a little bit too much for ashley evan smith who seemed to be very off of her game uh at this weight uh evan smith who's been wrestling for half of her life basically uh shooting for takedowns from very far away um she was very thrown off by the striking of andrea lee uh and you know uh, andrea lee walking away with a, a very easy you know nice decision uh, well Easy to make that decision. I don't know that it was easy for her to execute. Nick Lentz grinding out Scott Holtzman almost got KO'd at the end of that third round. Um, but for the most part, Holtzman just got uh, ground down to uh, a pulp here by the pressure of Nick Lentz. Uh, as you mentioned, Luke Sanders KOing Hennon Burrell in a really violent knockout. And then in the curtain jerkers, so to speak, Emily Whitmire getting it done over Instagram sensation. Alexandra Albu, uh, with a rear naked choke in the first minute of the first round. So, uh, well, we ran through the whole thing, Jeff, is there anything you really want to dive into here? Um, just Nick Lentz wrestling, man. Um, I thought that
1: he, the up really wasn't working for him. He was landing some good shots, but I thought he was losing the fight there. Okay. And then, um, in the second round, he switched it up completely, went for the wrestling, went for, you know, his bread and butter, went for what's been working for him. So I appreciated that. He really was doing a good job of using leg trips from, uh, having Holtzman up against the cage, and his wrestling really worked for him. And as for Emily Whitmire, man, she made quick work of Alexandra Albu, showing some really good jujitsu. Um, If you didn't watch that fight, definitely go back and watch it because, um, she does this move when Albu starts to get up from the ground where Whitmire kind of whips her leg around her and uses that as like a pivot to lock up uh, a rear naked choke. So she uses her leg to lock up a body triangle and then easily works into the choke. So it was really, really
0: good jujitsu, really clean grappling from Whitmire. Awesome. Um, So what wasn't clean was the production from Bellator over the weekend. I know you didn't catch these cards, Jeff, so I'm going to try and breeze over them. Uh, I'm going to try my best to find some positivity out of these two cards that took place at the Mohegan Sun Arena. Bellator 215 and 216, which took place on February 15th and February 16th, so 215 and 216 respectively. Um, you know, you can admire that, but you can't really admire why they keep doing these back to back events um, when they don't have a fully equipped roster. Um, and, and it really backfired here. So, Bellator 215 on Friday night, uh, so that was the 15th, was headlined by Sergey Karatanov and Matt Mitrion. So, Caratano, for those who don't know, is a bad motherfucker. Um, this is a guy who, uh, you know, really doesn't get enough credit for the things that he has accomplished in MMA. He's got wins over Roy Nelson. Um, he's been in there with Joff- uh, Josh Barnett. He's got wins over Alistair Overeem, uh, Fabricio Verdum, Pedro Hizzo, Uh, Just some of the biggest names in heavyweight history. This guy has been in there with with a lot of them. Um, And he got in there with Matt Mitrione, who had an unfortunate outcome uh, in the heavyweight Grand Prix. And this fight ended in 15 seconds when Matt Mitrione kicked Karatanov so hard in the nuts uh, that he could not continue the fight. So this was a no contest. And not only could he not continue the fight, Jeff, it was reported just today that Karatanov actually got hemorrhoids so mitrion kicked him so hard in the nuts that he caused another nut to grow out of his ass (laughs) jeez (laughs) and and sadly that's the most impressive fact about bellator this weekend (laughs) with the 30 something fights that they put on um (laughs) But I, I, I digress. I, I told you I would try to find some bright spots. So Logan Storley um, uh, with a victory in the co-main event on Friday night over Eon Pascu. And Logan Storley is one of these guys who is just a phenomenal wrestler. He might be one of the best wrestlers in MMA right now and just dominated a guy who was a national wrestling champion in his home country and Eon Pascu. Um, and, and it was a wrestling clinic, Jeff. Uh, he really, he really put it on Pascu. If you're interested in wrestling, uh, go back and watch this one. Um, uh, you know, Ion Pascu, uh, uh, a national champion out of Romania, you know, le- legit, um, legit grappler. And Logan Sorley made it look like he had never grappled a day in his life. Um Eduardo Dantas had a pretty impressive performance. And then Mr. Paige Van Zant, Austin Vanderford, making his Bellator debut with an arm triangle choke over Cody Jones. Um So Austin Vanderford, uh, another guy who's a very legit wrestler, he appeared on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. He had a very exciting fight on there where he showed that he could handle adversity. He got flattened with a big shot and came back and still... Uh, used his wrestling to win that fight. Uh, f- very impressively, I thought, but the UFC was not interested in Paige Van Zandt's husband uh, because that's how he's been marketing himself unfortunately. I think maybe if he didn't take that angle, uh, he would have been a little bit more uh, impressive to the UFC brass, but I think he was really pushing like, hey I'm married to Paige Van Zandt, or at the time he's dating her or His she was his fiance, or they were just fucking. I'm not sure uh, what the relationship was there, but um, uh, that pretty much does it for Bellator 215. Bellator 216, I could sum this up real quickly for you. So, Czech Congo won a fight against Vitaly Minikov that he basically lost, and he was gifted a decision by the judges. Mirko Krokop won a fight against Roy Nelson that he was gifted uh, by the judges. And then Michael Venom page won a decision over Paul Daly in a fight that was immensely disappointing. Um, This could have been, you know, one of the stand-up wars of the century, you know, two very different styles, but two very dynamic explosive strikers with ridiculous knockout power. This is how this fight was built. Paul Daly even said, uh, you know, we'll put a no takedown clause in the contract. And Paul Daly wound up taking Michael Venom page down uh, if you know anything about Paul Daly, he hates wrestling. He hates wrestlers. He hates fighting wrestlers. He hates being held down. And that's what he tried to do. The Michael Venom page. He was successful for two of the five rounds. Um, but the other three, Michael Venom page was able to back him up against the cage and, and, and land like some pitter patter shots and, and come away with, uh, with the victory unanimously. Um, but, uh, this this card was was very strange because there were some very backwards decisions. Uh, if you guys watch this card, you would see that uh, Minakov and Roy Nelson both should have won their heavyweight contests against Czech Congo and and Miracle Krokop, respectively. Um, I, the positive that I'll take from this is we have to have Krokop against Czech Congo. Chek Congo called out the heavyweight champion Ryan Bader after this fight. Uh, I don't think that's the fight to make. I think the fight to make is Krokoppa and Chakongo, and I would still be interested in that. Um, Besides that, I'm not interested in seeing anybody else who fought on this card fight ever again, except for Valerie Lareda, who looked phenomenal in her Bellator debut against Colby Fletcher. Valerie Lareda, a world champion uh, taekwondo practitioner, also uh, very famous for her Instagrams, uh, you may be interested to know, Jeff. I know you're not on Instagram, but uh, you know there's always Google where you could check out uh, photos of Valerie Lareda. She is very aesthetically pleasing if you're into that sort of thing, and uh, she knocked out Colby Fletcher with a very impressive body kick uh, and followed it up with some punches. And that was it. That was Bellator 215, 216 in a nutshell. So I hope I. Uh, I don't know. I hope I did that justice or I hope I convinced you to never want to watch Bellator or to want to watch some of this. I don't even know what my goal was here, Jeff and uh, breaking these two cards down. I just know that I lost out on a lot of sleep this weekend, uh, staying up to watch these cards. And uh, I would like to have those hours of sleep back because I have a one year old and, and those are very valuable hours to me um any any reaction to any of all that information i just spewed out at you jeff
1: bill you're not kidding this valerie lareda chick (laughs) is very aesthetically pleasing (laughs) that's
0: Um, what you got out of everything i just said you're immediately googling
1: (laughs) no but bill how dare you how dare you say that Mirko Krokop didn't deserve to beat Roy Nelson? I didn't watch this fight, but the fact that he's Mirko Krokop
0: <laughs> means that he deserves to win this fight. Uh, apparently, that's why he won that fight. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I And I, I think Roy Nelson got into some trouble backstage. Like He tried to fight some fans or something. Like he was pissed. Roy Nelson, to his credit, has been on the receiving end of some really horrible decisions. Like he is, he has lost some fights on paper that he very rightfully won a lot of times. And it's probably because he's very fat and unsightly. And, (laughs) and I think the judges take that into consideration because a lot, obviously a lot of these judges have never watched MMA before. So at the end of the fight, they're like, Oh, clearly the fat guy lost, and I think that has worked against Roy Nelson in his career, even though he's very athletic for his for his size and stature. Um, in any case, Jeff, any other reaction to Bellator or or any commentary on them?
1: Well, just uh, looking at some of the tweets from last from uh, both Bellators this weekend, I don't think I missed out on much, Bill.
0: No, no, you didn't, and um, I think. Any wrestler, which there are a lot of them in the welterweight division uh, in Bellator, any wrestler who watched Michael Venom Page's performance and saw him get taken down by Paul Daly, who actually despises wrestling. Um, And I have to say, though, Paul Daly's wrestling was not terrible. You know, he he actually had some pretty good chain wrestling to put Michael Venom Page on his back a few times. But any legit wrestler is looking at this fight like, wow. Like I imagine what John Fitch would do to Michael Venom page now. Um, and now Michael Venom page is going to be in there with Douglas Lima, who, you know, if MVP comes out and fights the way he did against Paul Daly, Douglas Lima is going to tear him a new asshole. Um, (laughs) yeah, in any case, um, Next week, we have UFC Fight Night 145. That'll be on February 23rd, and that'll take place in Prague in the Czech Republic. And it's going to be headlined by a very exciting light heavyweight match between Jan Blachowicz and Tiago Santos. Very much looking forward to that main event, Jeff. Although, I don't think I'll be able to watch it live because I will be at some uh, local fights in Tampa Uh you know, cheering on some some teammates down here. But a uh, pretty solid card we have here coming up next week. Co-main event is John Dodson and Peter Jan, who's uh, on a pretty quick turnaround. You got Stefan Struve and Marcos Rosario de Lima. Um, Michelle Prezeras and Ismail Nordiev. Uh, looking up and down. Daniel Tamer. We saw his brother David Tamer fight a couple of weeks ago against Chris... Fish gold, and let me just look up and down here. Jean Valente is is in there. Um, nothing else really jumping out at me. Uh, I don't know if you're well-versed on this card, Jeff, or if anything I have said so far has piqued your interest, but how do you feel about the Czech Republic card next week? Um, I do like the Stefan Struve fight. You know, if he can...
1: Get it together for that one uh, stephen Struve is very hot and cold. I'm really excited to see tiago santos bill You know, I love the floor hammer on his chest. I I like it I feel like it's really gimmicky is cheesy, but man. He can back it up when he starts throwing hands, dude um, let's see here so the main card doesn't look Uh, Liz Carmouche is on here. I'm a fan of her. Um, I I think Peter Jan is going to destroy John Dodson. Um, If I were John Dodson, I would fake an injury, not make weight some do something crazy to avoid this fight, dude. Um, We saw Peter Jan in his last time out. I remember we got into a really good discussion about it. But Peter Jan is very scary. He's well rounded. His Mm -hmm. grappling is very, very aggressive. He's an angry little man, Bill. And I don't, I don't see a lot of guys lining up to fight this guy.
0: Yeah, and his twenty three and me is probably very confusing because uh, <laughs> he fights out of Russia and he's got a Asian last name, and I, I forget what else there was about him. Um, but yeah, very, very solid fighter. Um, John Dodson, though, he's good at neutralizing aggressive fighters, so. Uh, We could see a really exciting fight here, or we could see a dud or a dod. (laughs) uh, (laughs) In any case, uh, before we wrap things up here, Jeff, I want to give a shout-out to my teammate, Dave Mundell. Uh, You may remember a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about him winning a local fight here in Tampa, and then just two weeks after that, he took a fight in cage fury fighting championships cffc 72 which took place in your neck of the woods jeff atlantic city new jersey at the hard rock and um you know took took this fight on a week and a half notice it was a catch weight 175 pounds and uh, went all the way up to new jersey and lost a close decision to a really tough opponent joe Perotti. um you know, it's always tough to watch somebody that you know personally and train with and, and you know the sacrifices that they made uh, get in there and come up short. But, you know, given the circumstances, definitely proud of Dave's performance. I thought he did a great job, um, you know, all things considered, being that, uh, you know, it was such short notice and he just had fought a couple of weeks prior. Um, but you know, when, when opportunity knocks, you got to answer the door, Jeff. Uh, and that's exactly what the redneck Dave Mundell did. And, um, you, you know, I'm sure he's already looking forward to getting back to the drawing board and, and looking forward to the next big thing. So a uh, big shout out to my buddy, Dave Mundell. Uh, I'm definitely proud for of him for, uh, stepping up and taking that fight and, uh, giving it his all in there. Um, I think that's pretty much all I got. Jeff, do you have anything else you want to get off your chest this uh, early Monday morning, my friend?
1: Yeah, dude. Shout out to your buddy there, Dave Mundell. Um, Like you said, he took that fight. I think you told me something like a week and a half s notice. Never an easy task, you know, Um, We talk so much about these guys, Bill, but I think we also have a big appreciation for that because that is not easy to get in there, stand in front of a bunch of strangers, half naked, and, you know, go in there and and compete against another person at the highest level. So shout out to your buddy there and Bill, all the fans out there listening, go look
0: up Valerie Lareda. You will not be disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I guess... I guess we'll end it on that note. Um, So a very unorthodox episode for us this week. Um, Since it was an unorthodox fight weekend, a lot of action. If there's anything we missed or we didn't cover and you really wanted to hear us talk about, um, then reach out to us on social media. You guys can get a hold of Jeff at Animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. You guys know how to get a hold of me by now. It's at MMA on the Rocks Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, Send me an email, Rocks at gmail.com. Uh, I do always appreciate a, a nice email from you guys. Um, and let us know what you're thinking and drinking out there. Until next time, happy President's Day. I hope everybody enjoys your day off, for those of you who have it. And for those of you who don't, I hope you know we were able to give you a little bit of relief from your regularly scheduled work day. Until next week, cheers, everybody. Goodbye.